You're listening to Clock Radio Speakers with Armand and Doc. And now, Side B. So Kanye, so people are people are a little bit of buzz right now about Kanye in Sunday service. It's getting some love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but Armand, I thought he was canceled. He is canceled. <laughs> you want to, <laughs> um you want to talk about cancel culture? God. Yeah, let's 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 kill this once and for all, please. So I think the idea of cancel culture. So uh, do, do we have a good working definition of cancel culture? Let's look it up. <laughs> to the internet. <laughs> I feel like I need like the Batman, right? All right. It says cancel culture. This is Wikipedia. Cancel yeah, culture is a term used to refer to the phenomenon of canceling or no longer morally, financially, and or digitally supporting people, usually celebrities, or things that may that many have deemed unacceptable or problematic. The term is often used as a hashtag on social media where it's believed to have originated. Specifically, it is thought to have come from Black Twitter, which is a cultural identity <laughs> consisting of Black Twitter users from around the world focused on issues of interest to the Black community. Oh, man. Shout out to Wikipedia for, for, for defining Black Twitter. Um, Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> they provide examples. So I think the idea of people basically being done with something or someone is not new. But in this era of we know more about the foibles and the flaws of celebrities and brands in this era of attempting to get to the truth of some things that our culture has liked to kept, you know, parts of our culture like to keep quiet for a very long time that people are just sort of saying they're done with this, Mm -hmm. right? They're done with this person or that thing or whatever. I think that. So a couple of things that are interesting about cancel culture, right? Like number one, like people forget not everybody's on Twitter. And secondly, yeah. Twitter is not a monolithic thing. Which means what? Which means that Twitter is not like, if you turn on ABC, everybody's watching the same ABC at the same time. Mm-hmm. When you go on Twitter, everybody is not seeing the same Twitter at the same time. It depends Very on, true. It depends on who you follow which is going to be heavily influenced by who you are, your interests and everything else, which is to basically say black Twitter is not Twitter. Mm. It's a subset. It's a hugely influential subset of, of Twitter, but it's not all of Twitter. Not that cancel culture and black Twitter are hundred percent like the same thing. Right. But like everything, like you just keep like everything is like a subset of, of like the largest thing that came before it, right? So Twitter is even just all the people who are on Twitter is a subset of the larger American population, right? And what you see on Twitter is only a subset of everything that's on Twitter. So like, just because, and part of the problem too is like a lot. There's a a lot of the media people on Twitter follow all the same people. You get this real yes. monocultural problem, right? Where like. They're all following each other and they follow the same influencers and follow this and follow that and follow artists and musicians and whatever. So if it resonates there, well, it must be resonating everywhere. But like, there's a whole huge percentage of Kanye West fans who have no idea what cancel culture is at all. Yeah. So I think... I think there is, there's two things I want to separate. I have no problem with people deciding 
especially in our society where companies are after our attention or they're after our dollars. And so not to say that that is the best way to judge the worth of something, but that is kind of what our economy and our society is built on, right? If you pay attention to something or if you pay money, then you are basically saying, yeah, I want this, right? Yes. So I have no problem with people deciding I'm not giving that my attention. That I totally get that. Mm -hmm. But I think that the idea of like cancel culture being a huge driving force, I think it is for some people. I think it is for a subset of, of Twitter and people who are quote unquote online all the time. But like, it's very clearly not the end all be all, right? Like Louis C.K. <laughs> is still able to occasionally book comedy shows because there's, is he? it's amazing, isn't it? I thought he tried, I thought he tried to book one and they ran him off. They, I mean, he keeps booking them and then people keep complaining and then they keep running them off. But like, it's very clear that there is a tension between people who are like super connected online, various social media platforms, and then this whole segment of society who could care less. Mm -hmm. And so all that to say, the idea of Kanye West being canceled, number one, I think people overrate the influence of cancel culture. Number two, and I'd be curious to see, excuse me, I'd be curious to hear, first of all, you're all, obviously all your thoughts about cancel culture, but this specifically Cancel culture seems to imply that there's no forgiveness. Yes. I think that's an interesting topic. Okay. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that specifically, but also cancel culture before we go any deeper. Uh, what particular thoughts in reference to how it doesn't imply forgiveness? Just um, that general statement? Yeah, I mean, basically... The I, the notion that you're canceled <clears throat> means that this is a person who is being cast aside and there's nothing that they could do. Yes. Um, no, no, I think that's true. <laughs> I mean, like we, we become judge, jury and execution, or I should say cancel culture postures itself as judge, jury and executioner when it comes to certain people where it's like now you can't, you can't. We talked about this with, uh, was it R. Kelly or Takashi? One of those two, like you can't make money anymore. You can't book any shows. You can't shoot. You can't go outside. You know, I remember, I think R. Kelly did a show on his birthday after Surviving R. Kelly came out and people were like livid. Like, how dare you go outside and perform at a club? How dare you? Um, it just, it, it just, I mean, I, I guess I'm having a hard time explaining, ex having a hard time explaining my thought on it because I think it's pretty cut and dry. Like, if you're canceling something and that means you are, you can't renew it. You're not, you can't bring it back. It's gone. And I think that's how people treat it. And I think that's not fair to the human experience. You know, people make mistakes all the time. And when you're in the public eye, there's more at risk. Absolutely. But I, I can't, I can't bring myself to say, um, this person is canceled. Can I say I'm not going to support this person with my time and my dollar? Absolutely. You have your right to do that. But to act as if, um, what's the word? Is it a is it a monolith where everybody thinks the same? Yeah. And yeah, so that that's kind of what it's like. It's like, oh, you you're not outraged like me because of this thing. 
this thing that is what I believe to be morally uh, reprehensible, then we're going to get at you too. Like that's not, that's not fair. And it's also contradictory to this whole idea of a no doc, like free speech. Oh boy. I I know you have long said (laughs) at Armand wake up, A R M O N D wake up all one word on Twitter. But it's like, if this is the belief that, that free speech means you have the, you have the freedom to say what you feel. You do not have the right to uh, cancel me, come at me, whatever, whatever. If I so choose to disagree, like you gotta, you gotta eat that. It's not fair. That's corny. Once again, I will point out for the record that is not what freedom of speech means. You are literally the only person in the world. <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. Um, Every like. You're the only person to say that. I'm not at all saying you're wrong. Not at all. I'm just saying that like nobody else has said that in the history. So you have to you have to recognize, and I know you do, that <laughs> though that is the correct definition, our culture defines free speech in a totally different way. I think parts of our culture do for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um like to point like the to point out again how weird it is to talk about things being on Twitter because Twitter is really Twitter is like Twitter is like holding up a it's almost like you hold up a mirror, right? to yourself. And so you sort of see your interest and stuff reflected back at you, but what you see in the mirror is not what someone else sees in the mirror even though it's both a mirror called Twitter, right? So like when I look in my mirror called Twitter, I have a whole list Twitter list called politics that's full of like policy wonks and nerds and, and, and stuff like that. And that whole list that I follow, they all agree with me on, on, on what it means for free speech. So like when you say that, I'm like, what are you talking about? Lots of people agree, but it's actually, no, my subset of Twitter agrees, which I have to recognize as a small subset of people. Um, I, I think that one thing that we're not talking about is like, cause it's, you know, when you talk about things online, right? not great at sort of nuance and subtlety. I think that there is a difference between like R. Kelly and the crimes that he has committed and someone making a mistake. Like what R. Kelly did, he didn't make a mistake. He didn't screw up and say the wrong thing one time. He was a rep. He was a rep. Allegedly. Allegedly. I mean, he was found not guilty. Jigga this this, conclu- this concludes this season of Clark Radio's Radio. All, all I'm saying is, all I'm sa- I, I saw that I, I hear you. All I'm saying is, is again, culturally speaking, we are supposed to say innocent until proven guilty in the court of law, and in the court of law, he was found not guilty. That's all I'm saying. I'm. That's all I'm saying. All I'm doing is throwing the culture's definition right back at it. Because I think the culture contradicts itself more than it would like to believe. I mean, American culture is very contradictory. Very contradictory. They say one thing and do the opposite. (laughs) Very Uh, egotistical, like all that stuff. Yeah, of course, we're a Puritan society that loves, you know, we're puritanical, but we love sex and violence. Yes. Well, we don't really love sex and violence. We, we. We tease it, but no, not real. We don't really go there. Right? No, and it, that's that's so weird. That's a whole other conversation. I agree with you. Right, but we're a very contradictory culture. 
For yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We love violence though. Yes. Um, but I think there's a difference between people saying like, we're not supporting R. Kelly. And it really mattered actually. Like the fact that R. Kelly is not able to book shows mm-hmm. is actually mattering right now in his, um, in during his legal situation because he can't, he doesn't have enough money to make bail. He just got a loan. I heard he got a loan from somebody and has posted bail. Who gave R. Kelly a loan? Hey man, look. So, if, if someone's assuming much, that someone's assuming that he can like what sell his story for a book or a movie or something, because like when is R. Kelly paying that loan back? Okay, so here's here's a, here's a serious question for you. So I or a serious what I would believe to be a parallel, but let me know if I'm off. Yeah. If you have people who have started a, a, a MAGA GoFundMe to raise millions of dollars to build a wall, then is it that far-fetched to believe that somebody has $100,000 for R. Kelly? They needed a million, right? Bell was a million? They, when, Bell's in, when Bell is set, you have to pay 10% of it to, to get it. So oh, is that they it? Need a, yep. Okay. Oh, who was giving R. Kelly a million dollars? Yo, the idea of that, like, yo, he walks he walks into the bail bondsman office with like four like four briefcases. I, I was gonna say, what is he gonna like sell part of his publishing? But who he doesn't own his publishing? Also, what what's the future value of R. Kelly's publishing if streaming services aren't gonna play it? Right. <laughs> um. I think there's a big difference between, look, what Kanye said was, he said some, we'll say, Ill, I'll be generous and say ill-informed stuff. There we go. I'm being very generous. Okay. I want to say ignorant, but I'll say ill-informed. Okay. There's a difference between saying he's canceled and, well, there is definitely a difference, but like you, I don't know. I guess what it really boils down to is like, are we allow, are we, are we sort of as a, as a society, are we allowing people to explore ideas or thoughts or whatever that is, they're kind of known to actually mean one thing, right? So I guess, so what I mean, what I'm really referring to there is like, you know, so Kanye's wearing the MAGA hat, right? Mm, Was. Was. Like, we all know what Make America Great Again refers to. Like, we're not stupid. Right? But it's also not, you know, we're a country that up until recently didn't really care that much about the fact that a whole bunch of southern states had Connecticut, not Connecticut, Confederate flags in their flag, or people would openly fly the Confederate flag, which still happens down south in parts. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't decide that that was out of line, but, like, in Germany, they decided, nah, there's no Nazi flags, there's no, well, I'm just trying ideas out. Like, that's a no. So, I don't know. So, so I guess the uh, question is, and this goes back to my original point we talked about this months ago, is, like, you know, I think Kanye said it, like, MAGA means something different to him than what it would mean culturally. Just like 
free speech means something different to the culture versus, you know, what you and your constituents <laughs> would define, you know what I'm so saying? Like, I have a huge problem with that idea, though. Okay. You, you it's this problem we have in society where it's like people are like, no, 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 no. My truth is blah, blah, blah. It's like, no. I agree. There are facts. Yes, I agree. There aren't two sides or infinite sides to every concept. I agree. There are absolute (laughs) truths. I agree. 10,000%. And what I heard from Kanye felt a little bit like, well, my truth is that it's like, no. (laughs) You could say that you want to reclaim that symbol or that you want to be different, but like, or, you know, but you have to acknowledge what it means. Like he was almost trying to jump to the, well, I'm taking it and twisting it and turning it without acknowledging what it meant in the first place. Right. It would be like if when they were doing the Yeezus merch and he had the Confederate flag on like, on like the arm of one of the jackets or hoodies or whatever Mm -hmm. was, I don't know if he explicitly said it, but it was sort of understood that, you know, what he's doing is like, it's a, a riff on it or it's a, a sat, maybe not satire because it's Kanye, but you know what I mean? Like, Maybe we should have asked that question. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean by this symbol? But like the Make America Great Again thing is so current, is so like of the moment that like you kind of have to acknowledge what that means. Like, could you imagine if a, <laughs> like if a rapper used, I'm again, I'm using Nazi symbol because it's so obvious, even though it might be an extreme example, but like used a swastika in something and they were like, well, to me, that means this. Mm-hmm. People would look at him like he was crazy. Mm. So you have to acknowledge what it is first. That's all I'm saying. And he was, he was, you know, all he had to say was, "Look, I, I, I understand what it means. Um, I understand what, 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 what it represents, and here's why I'm taking that and flipping it." But he was flirting with all sorts of conspiracy theories, and like, it was definitely like a, well, I'm really trying this out. Yeah. And so I, it's an interesting problem we have in society. We don't have, we don't know what to do with people who are trying out ideas like this, right? Because the instinct for some is to say, that's a terrible idea. Don't do it. We know that's bad. But there are certain types of personalities who, if you tell them something is bad, that makes them want to do it even more. Correct. Kanye is one of those people. 1000%. Mm. Kanye doesn't want you to tell him what to do. Are you kidding me? This is Kanye West. So when you tell Kanye, no, that it means this means that he's going to say, it means what I want it to mean because that's Kanye. Yeah. So cancel culture. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a good, this is, this is a good conversation. I, I think, I think ultimately we have to realize that Though we just discussed absolute truths, this is not one of them. Mm, what's that? And um, just the just the idea of cancel culture actually like being effective. Where I mean, I'm thinking the only person that it really, really affected from what I saw was um, I was about to call him Liam Nielsen. Um, no, didn't he do something recently too? Yeah, he did. Um, no, I'm thinking of um, my man Kevin Spacey. Oh, he's no one's man anymore. Bruh. 
made me so like and I'm upset. That bothers me because like you ruined the last season of House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> now you're in my yard, bub. <laughs> All this other stuff didn't affect me, but now no, but now you, yeah, you messed my you messed up my binging. You, you came for but your bag. They did, they did. So so it it it. I guess it's upsetting because it's it's like I you know what I worry about the people who get upset about everything all the time. <laughs> uh, I okay. I'm I am worried about just their mental and emotional well being. Like if you stay on social media all the time and you, you like almost are like searching for the injustices you have to look for. And like, I'm going to keep it like there's people here in Columbus who, who got into, you know, activism and jumped headfirst into it and committed suicide. Like you got to be mindful of like what you can take in. Because it could affect you if you're not ready for that. Like, it could have some long-term damage if 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 you allow it to. Like, you gotta be careful. What's the? Okay. I mean, so what's the alternative though? Is it to ignore it? Take a break. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I I also think it's one of those things. I tell people this all the time that I mentor. Like, yo, you can't save the world. Mm. You you cannot. You know what part of the problem is like, it's this idea that if you dig just a little deeper, you'll get to the end of the problem. Right. But what ends up happening is the deeper you dig, the worse you realize it all gets. Correct. And it's just hell all the way down pretty much. Correct. (laughs) Yes. 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 Right. Like, like like the more you, you want to expose corruption uh, for wealthy and powerful people, you how much time you got bruh like you you have to you have to go back to the not even the inception of america but before <laughs> well, Europeans even came to right but i mean like i mean so an example right so like robert Kraft, owner of the patriots oh lord right are you want to you want to do this i'm just saying <laughs> as an ex- i'm saying as an example okay right is arrested for yes uh for soliciting a massage spa that was really a prostitution place but it turns yes. out but like, so people are like, oh, right. Well, you know, wealthy, powerful person breaking the law. It's like, well, it's way worse than that because what's really happening here is people are doing human trafficking into these massage, quote unquote, places. And the women who work there are essentially Bruh. trapped. Bruh. Yes. And like, it's like the de- sometimes truly the deeper you go, the more we find out kind of the worse it gets. But I think that's kind of the point. Right, like, I was, I forget if it was on the show or if it was in person with somebody, but I was talking, I was talking at one point about, like, what I'm curious for seeing for this upcoming election, where, like, will the Democratic nominee be somebody who is going to be, like, an activist who is going, who's really trying to, like, speak truth to power and is actively trying to expose like the terrible things to bring it to light or is it Mm -hmm. going to be somebody who is going to yeah be an activist a bit but is also going to try to kind of tell americans the big lie again right which is that right there's a this arc of justice and it always it always bends right in the right way and that 
you know, we're all good people. We just need good opportunities and blah, blah, you know, all the normal. I mean, I understand why some politicians have had to run on that or why they felt they want had to run on that or wanted to run on that, right? Like Obama ran on that, but he was also trying to be the first black man to be president. And when you're the first black man who wants to be president, you don't get to take on the system. That's not the way America works, <laughs> mm, right? Right. So like, I know that there's a reason why he ran on hope and change, right? Like if he would have, if, if Obama would have been out there running on like Bernie Sanders style, like fire and brimstone, like we're bringing the, you know, we're, we're going to change the whole system and do this or do that would have never worked. Mm. Right. But like, I'll be curious to see if, do people think that the answer is, well, we, 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 you know, we need that Obama hope and optimism again. Absolutely. That's what it seems like people are asking for, but are they going to get it is the question. You think like the masses want that? That's a, that's another good question. I think that goes back. You know, you know, I, how think, think, about I that? think we're too far gone. Mm. I think, I think like that, I think like if you think about America before the financial crash, like if you think about what the 08 financial crash did to our entire generation mm-hmm. and then, and before, right. I mean, really, I mean, like, it was essentially like 9-11, <laughs> Iraq war, um, financial crash. And then everyone's like, well, we did it, y'all. We elected Obama. <laughs> and then what we got was two years of the Democratic Party trying to do some stuff and spending a lot of time on healthcare and getting some stuff accomplished. And then six years of like political bickering and fighting. Mm-hmm. And then we got... Like that, that 2016 election, it was traumatic for people. And like, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. We can't just pretend Obama's going to stroll up on that stage and, and make us all feel good again. I think we might be too far gone for that, man. So do you think now we've turned to, so do you think, <laughs> I, I've heard people say that the, the Democratic nominees, the potential of the Democratic nominees yeah. is looking like Trump's going to get reelected. No, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I mean, I would not underrate Trump. Like no one will ever underrate Trump in an election ever again. Thankfully, he only has one more election he could possibly be in again. Yeah. Um, But uh, nobody will ever underrate him. But at least right now, like when you run him in the polls against, if you poll him against any of the nominees, they all come out ahead. He is like really unpopular. But the problem is... (laughs) For like the 30% of America who thinks that he like walks on water, they will never turn their back on him. And that's a 30% of America that votes every year. Right. Mm -hmm. Is concentrated in states where their vote matters more for the electoral college. Yeah. And like, it's probably going to be tight again. I'm not, I'm really just not mentally prepared for the next like 18 months. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be really hard. So like, do you, go ahead. That, who, like a Democrat could be in the lead by like five to seven points on election night via the polls. And I don't know how, I don't know how anybody's going to sleep. Like we were like, I don't know, at least like me, meaning like a, stereotypical like i get it i live (laughs) i'm a liberal elite living on the east coast um like that that 2016 election just like broke people man 
Okay, so here, so here's my question. Yeah. Um. So, do you think that this upcoming election, election, this upcoming election will be the largest voter turnout we've ever seen in this generation? It's hmm. a good question. 2018, we had a huge turnout for a midterm year. Um, I think it. I think it definitely depends on who the candidate is on the Democratic side. Okay. You know, Hillary certainly had her fans, but like there were also just a lot of people in this country, Democrat or not, or Republican or not, who just, they just didn't want, they were like, we're done with the cleanse. We're good. Y'all had a good run. We are (laughs) good. Yeah. And wasn't it like, wasn't an exciting candidate. An exciting candidate doesn't mean that you have to run back the Obama playbook or whatever. Like there are different kinds of candidates who could inspire. Right. But like, you know, we're at the point in the primary right now where each candidate is like talking about like their big, like, here's the, here's the bill I would introduce to do this and that and this and that. And like, that is all super important. And I want to know where the candidates stand, but like the lesson of Obama and the lesson of Trump is that like your candidate has to make people want to go vote for them. Right. It can't just be a, we're voting not for Trump. That was going to be my next question. So you you don't think that those people are going to come out in droves? No. I mean, because remember 2004, we had the Iraq war going. It was, you know, very unpopular on the Democratic side. We had John Kerry as the presidential nominee, but people were voting more against Bush than for him. And that just never works. Right. Like the, the, there's a long history of either side. Republican or Democrat running a kind of eh, campaign or having a candidate that's kind of, eh, they're fine, but like not lighting anybody on fire. And those candidates never win. Right. Even if the others like in 2012, the Republicans could not stand Obama, mm-hmm. but they nominated Mitt Romney. Right. Who has, who is, who was not going to inspire America to do anything. <laughs> Okay. I as soon you, I as they you. nominated him, nah, wasn't going to happen. He's a rat. Okay. So if the Democrats nominate somebody who is fine and has all the great good opinions, but doesn't light a, a fire under people, mm-hmm. then we're all just going to drink heavily until November, November 2020, basically. Like you, policy matters 100%, but like you got to have the personality. Whether that's right or wrong, that's where we're at. Okay. Because, yeah, people will vote against Trump, but Trump people will vote for Trump for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I'm not looking forward to seeing Trump signs in yards again. And Oh, God. Man, they kept, man, there's certain parts of Columbus where, like, they still got <laughs> Trump signs up. Man, those are, they might, God, they might as well just say, don't drive here after dark. Bruh. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have nooses in, in our, our uh truck beds jesus speaking speaking of that speaking of nooses and truck beds can we talk about the academy awards oh god (laughs) (laughs) what kind of what kind of transition the movie green book that won best picture right have you have you are you aware of the controversy with this movie Bruh, I am not. The only thing I know is that Spike Lee won last Spike Lee and Regina King won last night. That's all I know. Yeah. 
Spike Lee won for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay for Black Klansman. Black Klansman was not a great movie. It was fine. It was fine. He, they did the Spike what they did to Scorsese. That was the that was the Thanks for Coming Award? It's the Makeup Award. We should have given you an award a long time ago. Oh like, God. Scorsese's Oscar, the only Oscar he has, is for The Departed. He didn't win for Raging Bull. He didn't win for Goodfellas. He won for The Departed. That's crazy. That's how it goes. That's crazy. They didn't give yeah. him his flowers. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my God. So... We'll talk about, I talk about Black Klansman a bit. So last, the last two weekends, Marissa and I have seen, we saw seven of the eight uh, Best Picture nominees. Yep. The one, only one we didn't see is Roma. Um, Roma was on Netflix only. This is a really interesting thing, actually. So um, it was on Netflix. It was a Netflix movie um, because it, you know, apparently a very good movie, right? Nominated for Academy Award. Um, theaters were interested in showing it. Right. As you might expect. But I didn't realize this until this whole controversy with Roma. So I guess the the rule is and theaters make the the theaters and movie studios have an agreement, which explains the exact timing of certain things, which is basically, let's say the Armand wake up story. Right. Your your new biopic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Opens in theaters on March 1st. Okay. Okay. Um, that means that it cannot appear on streaming or digital or disc or whatever. It can't appear on for rent or stream or home or for home use purchase until three months after you premiere in theaters. So it always feels it always felt to me like it was roughly three months before stuff popped up on video. But that's not an accident. That's like contractually mm. obligated. Mm. Netflix. So for Netflix, that would have meant that their movie could not have been on Netflix, which is where they want it. They don't care about the, they don't care about the theaters. Right. But like if Roma were to show up in theaters, then they wouldn't be allowed to have it on Netflix for three months. And Netflix wanted no part of that. So it wasn't in theaters. And so as a result, like this best picture showcase that we go to didn't show Roma because they're like, we can't. Right. Um, and so. Roma was one of the favorites, was probably the leading favorite for Best Picture, which would have been an astonishing feat because it's a black and white uh, Netflix movie entirely in Spanish with subtitles. Okay. Which did not make me want to see it, but it's apparently amazing. Um, but, um, but there was a backlash, right? Like, people in the in the movie industry are terrified of Netflix. Mm. And so there was, you know, it started to sort of a lot of whispers over, you know, before the Oscars, you know, last week or two of people being like, nah, they're not going to do it. Right. The voters aren't going to go for Roma because Roma is everything they fear. Right. It's mm. Netflix throwing money around, doing whatever they want, just, you know, breaking up the old way of doing things that, and a lot of people in the Academy are older. They want no part of that. Mm. Which leads me to Green Book. Which one best picture? Okay. Green Book was a, it's a, imagine like driving Miss Daisy combined with like Remember the Titans. Oh, man. So 
It's basically like driving Miss Daisy, except, wait a minute. Now it's the white guy trapping, driving the black guy. Oh, man. And we're going to learn some things about race along the way. Oh, my God. It is also a super predictable movie. And what I mean by that is like, you ever watch a movie and there's like a thing that will be pointed out and you know they're going to come back to it later? Or it's going to play Absolutely. Right. It was so obvious in this movie that Marissa and I were like whispering to each other. We're like, oh, yeah, they're going to do this. And we, we were calling it like it was to the point where it was uncanny. We're like, there's a scene that's about to start. And Marissa's like, watch, this person's going to knock right now. And they knocked because it was that it was like just total paint by the numbers. But it was it's a so it's a movie about um, a white. Um, I wouldn't call him. He's not a mobster. He is we'll call him mob adjacent guy in the Bronx <laughs> in the 60s. Like he was a bouncer at the Copacabana in real life. He ends up actually having uh, a bit part in the Godfather movie. And he ends up being, did you ever watch uh, Sopranos? No, he ends up being, he ends up being like Tony's boss in the Sopranos. So he's like, a he's, okay. you know, so he, this is this guy and he drove for a, uh, a piano, a piano player in the sixties, black guy. And uh, he wanted to do a tour down in the South. And he needed somebody who could drive him, but also, you know, it's 1962. Um, he's going to like Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina. Yeah. So he's yeah. like, we might have some problems. Yeah. So he wants somebody who can help with that. But like, you know, a lot. So of course, it's like you know, they're two total opposites, and this whole like fish out of water thing, and then you know, over time they get a real bond and. No joke. There's a scene in the movie where the white guy, they get into Kentucky. The white guy who's the driver sees a sign for Kentucky Fried Chicken, gets very excited. And the, the African-American guy in the back is like, you know, he, he, he says he's never had fried chicken, which oh no, there's a scene in this movie where the white guy, first of all, basically makes fun of, of the black guy for never having fried chicken saying, isn't this what you people like? Oh my God. But then literally practically forces him to eat it. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, The movie is co-written by the son of the guy who drove. So obviously they wanted to paint him in the best possible way. It's the total, like it's the total example of a movie where it's like, this guy was racist before, but now he's best friends with a black guy. Yeah. But like, I'm not racist. I have three black friends. Right. So it's not, it's not the first time Hollywood has made this movie, right? Correct. Absolutely. But to reward it in 2018, 2019 now, 19, but, 19, right. But yeah. to in, in the 2019 Academy Awards, to reward that movie. Yeah. <laughs> is Bro. kind of amazing. And so yeah. considering the other movies that were nominated and considering everything else that's going on right now. Yeah. They were, people were like, really? Huh? This movie won? So, I don't know. So that's the controversy with the Green Book. All right. Um, Yeah, because I saw like a picture of like something about celebrating race and diversity in 2019. And everybody who was on stage, there was like all white people and like one black guy. (laughs) This is my black friend. Yes. 
God. <sighs> yeah. Um, weird. Yeah, weird year for the Oscars. I don't know. So you probably haven't seen any of the nominated. Well, did you see Black Panther? Yeah. Yeah, I see. I, I, that, I think this is like my third. So we saw it Saturday because they showed it again. Um, probably my third <clears> time <throat> seeing it. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is fine. But yeah, like, fine. this is not best picture. No. Um, yeah, it, it was fine. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. My favorite movie out of all, out of all the ones that I saw this year, um, for, or for last year, I should say for best, out of all the best picture nominees is a, it's a movie called the favorite. Um, it is about, uh, a British queen, but which I know doesn't sound super exciting. Um, but it is, uh, it is definitely what I would call a black comedy like a dark comedy um it is really ridiculous totally unpredictable um kind of like definitely super racy but also super like all over the place like it um it totally inverts the like to me it totally inverts like the the traditional like you know i feel like the oscars every couple years always they always nominate some movie where people dress up in like old british costumes from the 16 or 1700s and they talk in like british accents you know and like you're telling some story of somebody who like, we I'm sure we heard about like when we were kids or whatever, like there's always one of those movies, you know? Um, yes. but this takes that whole thing and it, it's like, it's not a stuffy movie at all. It's completely over the top and funny. And so like Marissa and I love that movie. I totally understand why it did not win best picture because again, there's an older crowd in the Academy Awards and I have no doubt they saw that movie and they were just like, what is this? What? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, that's my, uh, that's my that's my that's my Oscars report, I guess. Um I'm trying to think of anything else. I'm trying to think of anything else to note. Yeah, Black Klansman. Oh man. Um just not not great. Not great. Spike Lee has made way better movies than Black Klansman. Absolutely. Um I mean, I don't even I don't even know if it's good or not, but I know that. Spike has made incredible movies. Sure, he did not get the uh, the the flowers he should have got for him. Right. <sighs> All right. Um, we should we should actually talk about some more music. Sure. Yeah we we've been real not musicy this episode. We've been okay. all over the place. We have, which is fine. Um. So, do you want to talk about uh what is probably going to be the number one album in the country? Which is what Offset's album Father of Four. Yeah, I do want to talk about Offset. So this is, it's just barely ahead right now of Gunna's album for number one, which is an amazing statement, actually. (laughs) Okay. Like, shouldn't Offset, like, I don't know. I think of Offset as being much more famous than Gunna, but maybe I'm not thinking about this correctly. No, I I think, well, it's weird. I think, I think, no, I don't think. Here's the question that I have. Has Drip Too Hard crossed over into pop territory? I don't know about pop. Okay. But um Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's you know, it's had some it's had some legs for sure. But um but you know, I mean the offset album, you know, delayed, all the stuff with Cardi going on right now, like I mean, if he's number one, that's great for him. It'll be a low number one week. Like, I think he's on there. I think he's on pace for like 
mid seventies, maybe eighty k. So he's not like blowing things out of the water, which kind of makes sense because like it's not like there's also there's no like there was not there's no like big singles in advance of this or anything like there's a little bit of buzz but not as much as you might think you know yeah um so I I have track by track notes on this oh god I'm not saying we got to go through track by track notes okay because I'm not okay um I might skim we we'll, we'll skim over anyway. Um, so this album is like mostly produced by Metro Boomin and Southside, which should be a really good sign. And mostly is a good sign. The stuff that really stuck out to me on here. First of all, I was not expecting Big Rube on an Offset album. <laughs> Listen, he he started off very, uh, very deep and introspective. Threw me off. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, he he's trying to talk about some stuff. Sometimes. Right. Then there are other songs where it's like, I get it. You're, this is a, yeah, you're just talking you remember, about. You're, you're one of the amigos. You're one of the amigos. Yeah. I mean, I would say overall, like, I think, and so this is, this is going to sound like I'm damning with fame praise, but this is mostly an album full of songs that could pop up on a playlist and you wouldn't skip. Which is basically to say, like, that's kind of how albums, I feel like, are constructed now. Right? It's a lot of, to me, sort of seemingly interchangeable songs. Like, the album cut used to be, like, we're going to go with the really hard, aggressive song because the label won't, won't, you know, won't let us do the single. But that's not how it works at all now. Right? Um, So now it's more like, we're going to have a bunch of stuff that could kind of find its way into any playlist. And then you're sort of, you have a handful of songs that are meant to be like, this is a highlight. You know what I mean? Yes. But which, which is you, which is typically based off of like the feature. Right. Or like a high profile beat or something interesting or whatever. Uh, You know, the features on here are kind of, you know, I think that I think offset works best when he's got someone to riff off of. Yeah, I don't need to hear a whole Offset song by himself and like the middle of the album is all him. Yeah, it actually kind of picks up speed once more guests come in at the end. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, how did you feel about CeeLo on North Star? You know, I've, you, I've said this before. I'm not the biggest CeeLo fan. Yeah, I get that. I thought he sounded pretty good, actually. Um, CeeLo's, CeeLo's, good for, um, CeeLo's good for features, for sure. It's a jolt of energy, right? Because like a lot, a lot, some parts of this album kind of operate at like the same like tone, I feel like, you know, it's just kind of at this level, like, and CeeLo on there, it's, it is, it's definitely, it's like, it's a jolt of energy. And so I appreciate that. Um, Trying to think what else really sticks out on this album. Um, The J. Cole feature is fine. Not amazing, but fine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little like, all right, now we, we get it. You know who he's... Oh, man. He's totally rapping like Kendrick on that. Mm. I've heard Kendrick use that exact flow. Mm. Interesting. Um, oh, I, Kendrick isn't... What's that? Let's say Kendrick's not around to, you know... Yeah, where is Kendrick? Really offset that. We're, we're, Sh- chilling, chilling, collecting Oscars. He didn't win. <laughs> Black Panther... The, I thought... Uh, I thought this... Didn't the soundtrack win or something? The, or am I thinking... The score one, which okay, is actually, pre- you know who, and you know who did the score for Black Panther? Who, the RZA? <laughs> no, that'd be funny though. Um, bong bong. 
<laughs> oh man, somebody, oh man, I need to see a video of like, you know, Michael B. Jordan in a fight scene from that movie with like Bobby Digital Beats over the background. That would be amazing. Absolutely. Oh my God. Um, no, um, I can never pronounce his name. It's Ludwig uh, Gorenson. I can't remember. It's some Swedish last name, but he's the guy who basically produces all of uh, Childish Gambino stuff. Um, so he okay. just so he just won Grammys for the work for This Is America with Childish, and now he's getting and now he's getting Oscars. Okay, it's crazy. Um, uh, so yeah, what works on here? Um, I like the I kind of like the Travis and Twenty One record Legacy. Um, I, I really like the Gucci record. Um, it's a dope Metro beat, Offset and Gucci. Their voices like contrast nicely. Um. I like Red Room. Actually, I like the whole, I like most of the closing parts of the album. I don't love the Quavo record because I don't really, the beat is, doesn't really work for me. But this, how'd you feel about the Cardi record? Uh, Cardi actually kind of went in. I kind of felt like the, the beat was fine. It was good. But like, I felt like this could have been a bigger collab. Yeah, they could have did the Bobby and Whitney something in common. <laughs> oh man yeah they could have they could have both had white linen suits on the beach <laughs> bankhead bouncing together it didn't feel like a big song it just felt like something they had they had right 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 and yeah, i can see that you know maybe we're just so used to like the old way of making albums we're like you know 10 years ago you could not conceive of somebody in offset's position not having like the big lead single with cardi b it just wouldn't be possible yeah, they could have totally did the, you know, like I think our generation would have expected the expected the this is how we got back together. This is what was happening while we were apart. Well, you know, um, you know, they could they could uh four forty four this at some point, you know, I don't know. They could. But that's I mean, not but that's I, not what this is at all. I feel like his uh I feel like his intro, like his intro, Doc, his intro really, really threw me off. Yeah, no, I get it. Cause he's because he's talking about real stuff. The only thing I would the only thing I would admonish is don't tell your kids that they that they were an accident. Well. Just just keep that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't expecting to have a child, just just keep that to yourself. That'd be my But yeah, that was that was different. It's funny to it's funny if I'm talking to you about something, you know, something authentic and I'm hearing skr skr in the background like yeah. you're still ad-libbing like your your deep conversation with your child. That was funny. <laughs> but yeah, that that threw me off and I think the the second song was kind of kind of was a little weighty too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got right, he's sort of balancing some weighty more, some weightier records on here with songs that are just like, you know, typical Three Migos records, right? Yes. Um I don't know. I think the in general, like one one advantage he has in this album is like, the, I don't with maybe one exception. Like there's there's no beat on here that is so bad that you're gonna like turn it off or skip it. Like it is a solidly produced album. Um, it's not like Metro's A game, but mm-hmm. you know it's a lot of like well put together stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff on here you could just slide into any um into any old uh, playlist on Spotify or Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Um. I think Quavo's album took more chances, but I also think it didn't work as well. 
Yeah, I think the, the biggest takeaway from this album is that now I know how to separate the three of them. Okay. I hear them together. <laughs> Seriously, like, I didn't know who was who. Like, people were like, yo, Takeoff's the best rapper. Like, no. Which one's Takeoff? Takeoff is the one who, when you watch him live, he looks like he's about to eat the microphone. That's, that's Takeoff. I've never seen a rapper. I shouldn't say that. I've definitely seen rappers with that bad, like, mic technique live, but he was atrocious. Who's the who's the who's the best rapper then to you? Out of the three? Yeah. Offset. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um All right. Yeah. So like I think this album is like fine. Uh I when this is more of a nerdy note than anything else. One thing that is kind of interesting to me is like if you look at the credits for the quality control compilation and the um the Migos album from early 2018, it was filled with producers who were signed to quality control, mm-hmm. which makes sense. And yet, yes, we got an album. We got uh, we got an Offset solo album here that is produced almost entirely by Metro Boomin and Southside, mm. which I thought was kind of interesting. So, I heard, I saw there was some additional producers on the album. Oh, like sure. Lots of them. I, I mean, Alan Ritter has a ton of stuff on here. Qbeats has some stuff on here. There's a Metro and Zaytoven collab on here. Like, there's definitely additional stuff, but I think Metro produces like three quarters of this album. Um, and Southside produces most of the rest of it. And they have a couple of beats where Metro and Southside are on together. There's some records on. I mean, I don't know. There's some beats on here that like that I'm definitely like, oh yeah, okay. Like this is this is like some good stuff. But like, there's really I was kind of hoping that there would be a moment on here where Offset really like there was there's just no one song on here that makes me that is just like that like so far above the rest. Right? Like when you heard the Offset 21 Savage Met- Metro uh album without warning from like a year and a half ago, not even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like everybody knew you heard Ric Flair drip, you were like, "Okay, that's the record." That's the record. There's no song in here that made me say that's the record. There's songs in here where I'm like, "Yeah, that's good. I like that." But there's nothing on here that was just like, okay. Was there anything on any of the Migos solo albums that made you say that? <sighs> I did not like the takeoff record. Let me think about the, the Quavo album was wildly up and down. But I'm trying to think if there was anything. I mean, you, you, flubbed the, you flubbed the stimulus package. The only takeaway from that was the, the, um, the uh, what's his name? The Dreams record. Oh, Huncho Dreams? Yeah. Yeah. Exa- exactly. Yeah. I mean, no, there's nothing on here that was really like, you know, oh, that's amazing. No. The Drake record was, meh. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. So it, it's good. I think it's good in this sort of climate, like, you know, Destiny's Child could have never released. Remember when, when Destiny's Child released solo albums? Like it was such a big deal. Yeah, they they like they somehow made it that all of the Migos released solo albums over the past six months, and they weren't big deals. Whose fault is that? Is that the music's fault? Is that QC's fault? Is that the is that the climate's fault for just kind of being like nothing really matters until it matters? I think that they took a really it's it's an approach to making a sort of solo albums that is completely foreign to what you and I grew up on. And maybe they have good reason for doing this, but like 
it used to be that like whoever the biggest star was was going to guest on on the first single and you were saving your biggest craziest beat for your solo out like you 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 saved stuff on purpose that was like yeah this is going to do this this is going to do that and then you filled the rest in with quote unquote we used to call album cuts which are now just you know songs songs right like that feel like that's what i feel like most of this it's like an album full of album cuts it's like it's almost more like he's missing like two singles yeah right there it, if you put two like super obvious and strong like singles on here then you might look at this and go oh okay offset but like the the card the same way we did with cardi no cardi's album had singles no, what I'm saying is, is like, just kind of like the, the expectation was so whatever that hearing like, oh, okay, these are good records kind of made people perk up. Yeah, maybe. It serious. I guess. Yeah. I guess it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think like what off here, like what, what on here is going to like really stick and like really have people coming back to it. I don't know. N- nothing. I think the, the, the conversation was like, why is this dude in the way of Cardi at the at the at the Grammys. And I think there was there was talk of I think culture is not really on the album cover. What is it? Somebody else? It's like a Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me pull let me pull this up. Oh man. Yeah, if you look at it, dude, yeah. 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 Really? His baby. Him and Cardi's baby, like that's that's a really bad Photoshop. No. Yeah. Well, okay. they all look photoshopped. All right, okay, okay, all right. I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just stop. Um, so when you heard this, was there anything that really stuck out to you? No. Okay, but it's not terrible. Yeah, you know, again, that was my question. Sometimes I ask because, like, a lot of this stuff, it, a lot of this stuff sounds so much alike. Yeah. That it's hard for me to be like, well, what's whack? Because it sound, this sounds like everything else. Kind of. I mean, there's some stuff on here that works better than others, but like. I get that. Um, but like in comparison, like this Gunna project, I could not listen. It was hard to listen all the way through. Okay. Like Dripper Drown 2, right? Which is apparently going to be the number two uh, album in the country, which is kind of amazing for Gunna. Like he has come a long sure. way really fast. Um, it's produced almost almost exclusively by Turbo and Wheezy. Um, so, you know, the beats are good, if not mind-blowing. But Gunna is... Oof. Like he he works better when he's paired with somebody for sure. Mm. Like that little gun and baby project was not bad. Had some songs. Yeah. But this is not it. This album, this dripper drown too, like is just not it at all. But, but that's weird. It's like I guess is that is that the client is that again, like this is just me kind of out of the loop. Like right. I feel like he just came out with something a few months ago. Oh yeah, Gunna is releasing music at like a ridiculous rate. Okay. Okay. But that's that's where we're at, right? I okay. mean, yeah. You know, a lot. You're right. I mean, I spe- like on. I mean, it's really the case on this like Dripper Drown too, where you're like you're you're hearing these beats and you're just like, I mean, I get it. Like once you kind of understand how to make trap beats, like you can make them. You know, and there's just a lot yeah. of that. Yep. You know, um, and it's not like Gunna is like lyrical schmiracle or like doing anything particularly inventive, like. I really feel like so much of this is like, we're just going to make a ton of stuff. And then when we come back and listen to it later, we're going to be like, oh, that really worked. We got one. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah in this climate, all you need is one, right? You need it's it's weird. Like you need a lot for the streams, but then you need one to you need one for the player to some money, yeah, to get yeah. in, and then yeah. But um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I actually. So if you're listening to this and you're gonna fan, like I'd love to know. Like, is this just a problem with Dripper Drown too? Like it just doesn't really work, or was I? Or you know. Or do you hear this and go, yeah, this is just like the stuff you did with with little baby, you know, last year that that really caught on. Because I hear this and I'm just kind of like, oh, mm. I hear this. I'm like, well, you kind of blew it. Mm. But I don't know. So if you're if you're if you're listening, please hit us up at Sierra's podcast. I'd love to know because like you and I are is it safe to say you and I are not bi- or not like we're not exactly like longtime Gunna fans. Not at all. So we're coming at Not this at from all. like, okay, we know who Gunna is. We've heard some stuff, but like, I hear this and I'm just like, no. Like, I, I hear this and I'm like, I don't need a solo Gunna project. Like, he's just not, he's not there. He doesn't have a versatile enough style. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I was like, why is he putting out a lot of music if it's, I, I guess I just answered my own question. Why is he putting out a lot of music when it all sounds the same? Hmm. But, you know, if you're in a factory and you're just, that's why I always say, like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not impressed by people who rap about the same things and put out a lot of content. Because I can make this, if I can get the same type of beats and then not really have, like, a, a, a decent amount of subject matter, then, like, your, your work rate, your work ethic, like, it's not, if you're working, if you're working in, like, a, a, a factory and all you're doing is putting heads on a toy, like, and you say, oh, well, I put to, I put a thousand heads on the toys today. Like, well, you did one thing. You should have put a thousand heads on, t- on toys today. I don't know. But then, you know, do I sound like a hater? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, sometimes, you, just, you know, you're just like, nah, we're good. Yeah, that too. I'm that good. too. I'm good. Yeah. I-, I can't believe you don't like that song. You crazy. What song? I'm good. Clips. Third album. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Don't do that. I'm laughing. <laughs> I'm laughing right now. I'm laughing. Let me hear it. Hold up. Clips. Hold up. We're going to hear it right now. Dumb YouTube ads. Oh, and it's the one where I can't click through. All right. All right. Of course. It is. I'm trying so, to remember what I think I know what it sounds like in my head, but I want to hear it real quick. So it just doesn't sound like a clips, right? Like I hear this and I'm like, it's. Hmm. Is there a certain type of, of clips record that you like? Do you prefer their darker stuff? Is I do. That maybe, is that what it I is? I do. Like I hear those synths and those synths with the clips on top of it. It feels like it's the wrong kind of beat for them, if that makes sense. Sure. And based off of Questlove's classic <laughs> Pharrell story, that, that's pretty much probably just what they got. Right. Right. For Like those are, yeah. No, I, I, I understand what like, yeah, I would not choose the clips to rap on that kind of Pharrell beat. I would not choose the clips. Like, you know, give them the hard, real quirky, dark stuff. Mm. But that's, you know, got these uplifting scents. And, you know, I know it's called I'm Good, but no. Uplifting scents. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Uh, uh, I love this show. Anything else you want to talk about today? Um... Nah, I think we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Okay. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's Clock Radio Speakers. As always, we appreciate it. Hit us up at CRS Podcast. Um, let us know. We went all over the place this episode. Um, love to hear about any part of it. Um, Armand, you got uh, anything you need to plug? 
Yeah, uh, March 16th, uh, Parsons Library in Columbus, uh, fairly close to Old Town East. I will be hosting a uh, uh, Truth About Hip Hop DVD watch party and a town hall discussion. So if you've ever discussed hip hop with me in the context of uh, Christianity and what that means and what that's supposed to look like, I would love to see you there. Reserve a seat at ArmandWakeUp.com. We're going to watch one of the OG Craig Lewis DVDs and just see the impact that that man's ministry has had on uh, hip hop. The relationship between hip hop and the church is going to be super, super, super fire. Like, like Beanie Siegel, the truth? Yo, my, why does my girl? Yo, why does my girl know like all the lyrics to "Stop Chill"? <laughs> Stop, like, chill, uh, relax. No, no beans. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh man, that's good stuff. All right, we're done this week. 